Hey, lunatics, you're listening to Let the Meat Grass, a podcast exploring real food, broken ecosystems, and a better way to live. I'm Austin Williams, your farmer and podcast host. Before I began farming, I was a public school teacher who had grown up in the suburbs of St. Louis. And if you were like me, you had no idea what was real or who to trust when it came to our food. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a chance you've begun to doubt what huge food corporations are trying to sell you is as healthy as it's cracked up to be. And for good reason. I'm dedicating this show to you, the lunatics, the crazies, who have chosen to opt out, to stray beyond the safe and familiar confines of grocery store walls to support a farmer. And not just any farmer, but a farmer whose mission is to heal the land and nourish the people. You see, conventional farms are dying. We've been losing farmers for well over a century now. When 100% of us eat and only 1% of us farm, we have a math problem. Help me do the math by sticking around, listening closely, and voting with your forks to support real food. See you soon. When we think of broken ecosystems, we might think about industrial farming, which has turned beautiful, biodiverse landscapes into rigid vegetable monocultures. We might even think of places like Yellowstone National Park, which removed its wolf populations over a hundred years ago, only to have elk populations balloon into a set of cascading failures. Or maybe nuclear disasters like Chernobyl, which wreak havoc on the immediate environment for decades. But we might not think of how we outdoorsy people can love our favorite places to death. The reality really is just that insidious. Loving our favorite places can just mean being there. 4.1 million visitors poured into the seven square miles of Yosemite National Park last year, trampling down vegetation, leaving behind trash, and going off trail looking for that perfect picture to post on Instagram. Just ask Goblin Valley State Park Rangers in Utah, where two visitors published to social media a video where they pushed over a rock formation so old it had witnessed the dinosaurs. Whether or not we like to accept it, whenever we go somewhere new, we become tourists. Even when we're backpacking, we're enjoying a place that we don't live and aren't affected by its destruction. And I must say, tourism has been booming in recent years. It seems that traveling to new places to capture that perfect jealousy-inducing picture quenches our very postmodern penchant for boredom, if for a time. And my fellow millennials are, even by personal experience, some of the biggest offenders here. As I've done the research, I see that tourism itself really isn't a new phenomenon. The pharaohs of ancient Egypt traveled to see monuments like the Great Sphinx built around a thousand years earlier. And during the Middle Ages, errant scholars and journeymen traveled far and wide, often visiting European cities like Paris, France, Oxford, England, and Bologna, Italy, to experience the world and educate themselves in the way of other cultures. Early 19th century tourism involved grand month-long holiday tours by stagecoach both in America and Europe. It wasn't until the mid-19th century that mass tourism really began, and by mass tourism, I mean tourism by an emerging middle class. At first, the middle class would spend a summer in the countryside as a summer retreat. Even back then, the simplicity of country living was valued over the duplicity of the city. The retreat was several weeks long and consisted of short day trips into an area only a few hours from the location of their primary residence. But fast forward to 2019 and a whole new beast emerges. Now we have cruise ships, airplanes, and online home sharing. 
We can fly anywhere in the world in less than 24 hours. We can sail through hundreds of miles of ocean without feeling a single wave, all in the comfort of a hotel room. We can stuff our faces full of buffet food and stagger off onto these exquisite locales to buy duty-free alcohol and snap a quick gram. We can stay in a local's house for a week on a platform like Airbnb, or at least we think it's local. It could very well happen to be owned by an out-of-area operator who owns hundreds of others. We think we're just staying a week, but we're actually just displacing locals and driving up rents. After all, why rent out apartments for less money to year-round residents when you can turn it into mini hotels for tourists? Cities from Amsterdam to Barcelona to New Orleans to New York have passed laws and ordinances trying to halt the surge in mini hotels. New Orleans found that 11% of its operators for short-term rentals owned 42% of the properties. San Diego found that enrollment in public school was actually down after home sharing became more popular. Less people live in these communities year-round now. Modern tourism is so much different than ancient tourism. Gone is the educational aspect. Gone even is the extended week-long stay. Now we travel hoping, maybe not consciously, but definitely subconsciously, that we can increase our social status by having that next great Instagram photo. So we don't even try to immerse ourselves in the culture. We don't even try to learn. We head straight for the most visually interesting part of the country and take pictures until arthritis sets in. In fact, there's been such a deluge of tourism recently, they've invented a new word for it. Over-tourism. Over-tourism happens when there are too many people visiting a place, according to the local residents. What I really think should most arrest our attention is the ecological harm being done to fragile environments. Environments everywhere from the islands of the Galapagos and Mallorca to Spain and Borake in the Philippines, waterfalls in Iceland, desert flower blooms in California, and U.S. national parks like Zion, Utah, and Yosemite, California have negatively experienced these growing pains. Personally, I've been to places in Colorado that had the fatal flaw of being both beautiful and easy to get to. There's this place called Hanging Lake located off Highway 70 near Glenwood Springs. It's only a short hike from the highway and features two incredible waterfalls. But there are hundreds, and I mean hundreds, of other people who try to see it every day. I saw countless pieces of trash caught in snags on the stream and had to personally ask another hiker to stop feeding the squirrels, who have learned that humans are suckers who will feed them just about anything. There's a national park in Colorado called Mesa Verde. It's an ancient Pueblo archaeological site tucked in the walls of a giant canyon. As we were visiting the famous Cliff Palace, our tour guide explained that even if we never littered a single piece of trash, just the act of walking by a stone wall, repeated millions of times, was enough to compact the ground on one side more than the other, and eventually collapse the wall. You see, just our presence is enough to cause degradation. All this increased travel has the paradoxical effect of destroying the very things we want so badly to see. Global travel has increased, and air travel is a popular method to get to these beautiful places. The International Council on Clean Transportation just released a study showing that air travel emissions are rising 50% faster than expected. A major component of these emissions is carbon dioxide, and it will probably reach around 0.9 billion metric tons by the end of 2019. By 2050, it will likely have tripled to around 2.7 billion metric tons of CO2, which will also be around 25% of the carbon budget, so to speak, of the Earth if it's to be kept beneath the widely agreed upon 1.5 degrees Celsius increase.
The Nygersblen Glacier in Norway used to be one of the countries most easily accessible to the general public. Tourism to the glacier has increased in recent years, but the tongue, or the farthest point of the glacier, has been retreating. Climate scientists around the globe say that the reason around 90% of the world's glaciers are shrinking is due to a warmer climate. It's with a sad touch of irony that the more we race to fly to see these beautiful glaciers, the more we hasten their demise. One of my friends summarized our cultural travel obsession best when she remarked, I want to go everywhere, just once. And worse yet, I sympathize. I would love, love, love to be a world traveler with my wife and daughter by my side. I never thought I would be the one to say this, but I think we all need to accept seeing less of the world in person. Unless our paradigm shifts and we can teleport ourselves anywhere at the snap of a finger for the cost of a few electrons, we are simply putting too much carbon dioxide into the air by consistently flying to exotic destinations. If we all took up sailing and just used wind to propel us to destinations abroad, we wouldn't have as high of an ecological price to justify for travel tourism. But we don't live in that world. We don't live in a world where people would be okay with taking two to four weeks to cross the Atlantic and a couple months to cross the Pacific. For the sake of consistency, I'm gonna call this penchant for global travel globalism. What if the cure for globalism is localism? What if we tried exploring our local communities rather than the global communities? While tourists come and go, Farmers are here to stay. A regenerative farmer is basically the definition of long-term stewardship. If you really want to invest in making the world a better place, start in your own community. And I can promise that if you can volunteer on a biodiverse farm, you'll even find excitement and newness along the way. Help the earth plus entertain yourself. I may be biased, but I have yet to find a bored regenerative farmer. There's just something about having a visceral, fertile connection with the land that prevents boredom. When you plant a garden, raise chickens, or plant an orchard, it has a habit of keeping you busy. Each day can feel both familiar and unexpected at the same time. And I know that there are certain things I have to do every day, but the way I do them always changes. The seasons change, the animals escape, a predator stalks, the harvest beckons, and so much more. As humans, I think we can only stand being disconnected from the natural world for so long. When we're cooped up inside a cubicle all day long, we start to long for something new and fresh. But rather than just looking for an experience down the road, we start to think that we need to travel across the globe to truly feel alive. Somehow the environments across the globe will fill our souls more than the local ones could. Even though the idea of global travel still excites me, I feel very much a part of the seasonal rhythms of mid-Missouri. Farming has a way of grounding you. Your work week isn't broken into arbitrary hours on arbitrary days. And normally with farming, you can't start any earlier than sunrise and you can't end any later than sunset. The days, weeks, and months just blend together. There are likely many, many opportunities to volunteer on a farm near you. If you live in a city, there are urban vegetable farms on a vacant lot or rooftop near you. If you're willing to reach out to the owner, odds are you'll be allowed to volunteer and likely take home some of the produce each time. If you live in the suburbs, you aren't too far from the countryside. With all the aging farmers out there, you can take a quick cruise of the internet and see if there's a regenerative farm with an internship or volunteer program near you. Lastly, if you live in the country, 
you might just live down the road from a regenerative farmer. Or, depending on how much land you live, you could try some farming enterprises on your own property. If farming isn't your thing, why don't you try volunteering at a local nonprofit? If you're outdoorsy, but are more of a trail hiker than a farmer, why not try volunteering to pick up some trash at a local park or maintain some of your county's trail systems? Dirt trails need work all the time. Striving for the ideal of a globally-minded citizen is fine, but physically traveling that much destroys what we're trying to protect. The reality is that our beautiful ecosystems would fall apart across the world if they weren't stewarded by concerned local citizens. I, for one, want to keep our Earth beautiful. I want to leave it in a better condition than my parents left it for me. Be responsible about your vacationing. Try researching local alternatives. If you want to go somewhere really popular, go during the tourist off-season. If you're wondering when the off-season is, call and ask a local who knows. Figure out where the least visited attractions are in the place and go there instead. Always be conscious about how your presence is affecting the local environment. Remember, even though you'll leave, the locals won't. They'll be there to pick up your trash and rebuild the crumbling stone walls. They'll watch the glaciers as they retreat farther and farther up the valley, and one day, disappear from sight entirely. Lunatics of the Greater Podcast World Unite! It's official! The Patreon page for this podcast is up and running. Check for a link in the episode description. Right now, the show is still teeny tiny. Just me and a dark basement in the wee hours of the morning. I need your financial support to keep producing this. If this show means anything to you, if you find some value in it, please consider donating. Maybe you've been enjoying this show since the beginning when I personally told you about it. Maybe you just randomly tripped across the internet and fell face first into it. Maybe you were just spotted by your mom at McDonald's where she ripped the burger out of your mouth, handcuffed you, put you in the backseat of the minivan, and drove at perilously high speeds down the highway, all while blasting this podcast so loud you couldn't tell if I was talking or a banshee was screaming. However you came to find this podcast, your support, any support, would be greatly appreciated. If you have any questions or thoughts about this episode, or want to sponsor a future one, follow me on Twitter at MissouriAustin or shoot me an email to austin at letthemeetgrass.org. I might even include your question, along with my answer, at the end of my next episode. If you live in the Missouri area and want to take the next step in radically protecting the health of you and your family, you can buy some of our pasture-raised food at my friend David's website, fedfromthefarm.com. That's F-E-D, fedfromthefarm.com. And use the offer code PDCST, like podcast without the vowels, for $10 off your next order. I am shamelessly promoting this, but since I manage this farm and personally take care of the animals, this is the only operation I can wholeheartedly endorse. If you really enjoyed this podcast, subscribe or download it on whatever podcast directory you use. If you're using iTunes and are feeling mighty generous with the next five minutes of your life, please rate it and leave a review. The more reviews I get, the better my chances of being featured in a spotlight. And as self-serving as that sounds, the more attention this podcast gets means that I get to improve the production quality for you. Production assistance was provided by the kissable Kelly Williams. That's my wife. Music was performed by the bodacious Brandon Nelson. If you like Scandinavian folk music, you can find his album Old Yarns by Eloin, that's E-L-O-I-G-N, at Bandcamp. Cover art was drawn by the radical Rebecca Rabin. Fact-checking was done by the daring David Boatwright, and sound engineering was done by the jubilant Jeffrey Hook. If you want any of these marvelous people to help you with your projects, just let me know. That's all I have for now. 
Stay with me, won't you? Won't you?